0: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: This is Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio from Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, uh, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. I give you Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, good afternoon. Admiral Ken? No, Admiral Ken. Uh, Let's go to uh, Sharmila. Is Sharmila on the line today? I'm here Sharmila, she is the she is the former attorney for the president candidate for the Democratic Party Ms. Hillary Clinton in the 2016 campaign in Ohio. She is the bar certified attorney in the Empire State and Garden State of New Jersey. From New York City, she is Sharmila Charing. Hello Sharmila.
2: Hi Justin.
1: And I believe we have uh, Alan Moores back with us, if I'm correct. Alan, good afternoon. That's correct. Yes. Welcome back. Thank you. And also, I believe on the line, do we have a Dan Littner?
0: You do indeed
1: have a Dan Littner. We do have a Dan Littner. Fantastic. Hey, listen, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, I am doing this from my uh, living room today i am slightly under the weather but the show has to go on i'm your moderator justin russell hey we've got a lot to talk about obviously we want to start off with the breaking news that came out of the some are calling it historic some are calling it comic uh whatever it was it was history made in singapore uh for those who did not see president trump and korean uh, uh the north korean leader kim jong un met shook hands and had a summit that lasted most of the day out there in singapore uh it was uh it it was an odd i guess kind of gathering here as far as the initial meeting after they did the initial photo op and shook hands the two leaders went into a room with just themselves and the interpreters. There were no record keepers, which is odd for when two heads of state meet. Uh, There was no staff, uh, not even high-ranking staff allowed in the meeting. It was just the two leaders and their designated interpreters. Uh, After that, they went into a, uh, a full meeting of senior staff and the two leaders, which had, at that time, photo ops and note takers. Went into lunch and then came out and discussed the uh, memorandum that was signed between the two leaders from uh, North Korea and the United States. And then the fireworks started. Uh, let, let's start. Um, let's start with you, Dan Lipner. When we look at just the optics of the meeting, this is historic. This is something that no North Korean leader has ever done meeting with a Western leader uh, of any significance, let alone the president of the United States. And this is the first time that uh, Kim Jong-un has traveled outside of the China North Korea corridor. What? Why is this significant and why is it important that we take
0: note of this? It? Well, it's important for a, a bunch of reasons, but it's also worth – uh making note of some of the criticisms and the foreign policy uh establishment criticisms of the president which I think and we're are going to get
1: to that. Uh, and we're gonna get to that Dan, but why is this significant? Let's start with that first.
0: Well this is a this is a war that's been going on for seventy plus years. So talking peace is is a significant thing. So even though there hasn't been a uh real shots fired in quite some time, technically uh, it is still a hot war, technically. So it's it's a big deal for for there actually to be something resembling peace negotiations.
1: Is Sharmila Chari is this something that you know is just on the premise historic enough for the United States to uh, take note of that that the electorate should be giving credit to the president for just the actual summit itself? Sharmala. We lost Sharmala. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'll go to you, uh, Alan Moore. Alan Moore, is the significance of this, is this something that the American electorate should take and give credit to President Trump for?
3: It should. Now, how much credit is the harder question. Um, and, and that's all going to remain to be seen. Um uh on this show, for some period of time, I've said I thought it was a good thing that they were talking, that they were going to have this meeting. Um, the, one of the big potential risks or one of the criticisms is, gee, this is a big win for Kim and a big potential loss for America. I, I have pushed back on that idea. I continue to. Uh, that is not to say that there was some major breakthrough in substance, the the memorandum uh that that they signed is uh, is is not really new content. Um it it sounded familiar to people who have tracked uh US North Korean negotiations over the past uh thirty plus years. Having said that, we've never had the heads of state uh come together before.
1: All right. Let's get let's get to the brass tacks on this though. Uh, when we when we're looking at the actual now content of this, uh, Alan Moore, as you pointed out, there was not a lot new here. You know, in fact, some are criticizing this memorandum as being just you know one glorified photo op. Uh, is that is that a fair uh, criticism of of the meeting
3: or well, the memorandum? it remains to be it. It remains to be seen. This thing came together really fast. And to do detailed plans with timetables, verification procedures, doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen over a short period of time. It happens over a lengthy period of time. And the president even, it's been interesting watching him talk leading up to this uh, about what this was. He said, I feel good about this but I'm going to meet this guy. I'm going to size him up. Um, he, he, he makes us laugh when he says, yeah, I'll size him up in about one minute because that's what I do. Um, and, and uh, uh, that's on the one hand, that's amusing that he wants to pat himself on the back for his immediate instinctive judge of character. Uh, but that's how he is, you know, we're kind of used to, to that. But the fact of the matter is these guys met, they signed uh, this joint this this joint statement that talks about steps towards denuclearization um, and uh, and a desire to work together. It, the fact that the two heads of state came together, shook hands, signed it, and that's the lead story for the, for a couple of days. It's in the newspapers. It's a lot better it's a lot better than where we were 6 or 7 months ago when taunts are going back and forth nuclear and ballistic missile tests are going on in North Korea showing that they have both a weapon and a and a potential delivery mechanism they haven't put the two together yet but that was scary stuff and there were there were analysts of uh, uh events in the region saying you know, there's some real legitimate quantifiable chance that, that there could be uh, the use of a nuclear weapon. Um, And then things quieted down um, and with a few starts and stops, they have a meeting. Um, And uh, I think that, I think that we should feel good about that. Not great because there's so many questions unanswered, so many details, but, it would have been ridiculous to think that we would have a lot of details. Could we have had a few more? Perhaps, perhaps, but but, uh, I I think that that the visuals alone are helpful.
1: Dan Lipner, help me out here, because from what I'm gathering, just from reading through the document uh, and then – going off of the odd press conference, which we'll get to, that the president gave after the summit. But help me out here, help me understand what was majorly different that we heard today that we didn't hear under the seven-party talks, the six-party talks, uh, and any other dialogue that we've had that has been facilitated by Beijing. Dan Lipner, I think we lost Dan Lipner. Uh, Admiral Ken, are you with us? We are having some serious technical difficulties.
3: <laughs> wow, they're abandoning—they're all abandoning them. us, Justin.
1: They are all apparently. This, this North Korea deal has gotten everybody hot on this. Alan Moore, I'll go to you. What is different that we heard? That we didn't uh, that we didn't see during the six party talks or any conversation we've had being facilitated by Beijing well
3: a lot of this is the symbolism, and that's not that's not nothing um, the content is sparse, most of us expected the content to be sparse, perhaps not this sparse but Sparse, and uh, and so they met, and so there are images all over the world, and so there's a reason for, uh, you know, not crazy, unbridled optimism, but maybe some hope, some hopefulness that that uh, uh, maybe this is a first important step, or a second or third step. We can we can we don't need to argue about that, but a step. A right. useful step in a positive direction, uh, but we're 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 not very far yet. And uh, right. but at least we're somewhere, and we're still you know now these guys have met. The right. the president oddly right. is is much more complimentary towards the <laughs> Kim than he is towards, he is. for example, longtime ally like Justin Trudeau, like Canada, but like Justin Trudeau, but 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 you know this is what we've come to expect from this president this is the new normal um keep us off guard and let us not be freaked out um like we used to be uh, i'm not what? saying this new normal's a good thing but it it's it's a real thing and uh so let let's in my mind it's uh it's it's a useful step not some what? great major massive breakthrough but but uh but, an important step, and I think uh help i you know, I choose to well, see it uh, as a as a helpful one but but details right. to follow champ big, big challenges to follow but,
1: but here's 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 my problem, Alan Moore, and I want to go to Admiral Ken on this one during the discussion uh in his press conference after the summit, the president revealed that America would stop immediately doing. Joint exercises with the South Korean military. Number one, he obviously did not vet that statement with the Pentagon. And number two, how dangerous a telegraph is it? Are we seceding our standing in the Asian Pacific Rim by doing that?
3: Are, are, are you asking Ken or are you asking me? Admiral, Admiral Ken, are you on?
1: Can you hear me, Justin? Oh, yeah, I can hear you now. Ken, did you hear uh, the great. question? Uh, I did not. Please repeat the question. So, here, so here's the question: Is during during the uh, during the press conference after the summit, uh, President Trump announced that he was ordering the secession of all military joint exercises with the South Korean military forces? Uh, it, that's obviously not a discussion he's had with the Joint Chiefs or I would even say Secretary Mattis uh, is is that a dangerous decision and does that secede any of our status and standing in the Asian Pacific Rim how bad a decision is that Admiral Ken wow we thought we had him Sharmul let me go to you Sharmila, I mean, when we look at when we look at this coming through, and I want to get back to that military question, but I want Admiral Ken's take on that. But when we look at at, at the, some of the decisions that uh, that the president has made, including the opportunity that he might even go to Pyongyang or might even invite uh, in, invite the uh, uh, the head of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, to the White House. Was this just bad optically for our allies, uh, the, the, just the whole messaging in this? Was it, it was obviously not prepared.
2: Well, right, obviously. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out uh, when you had mentioned before that the president didn't notify the Pentagon that he was going to suspend, agree to suspend military exercises in South Korea, he also didn't inform the South Koreans. So imagine how much that must have rattled them to hear suddenly from the president of the United States that he has stopped being committed to the joint protection and sort of the, the military and geopolitical bonds that have been connecting our two nations for the last 60 years. But um, but I have to, I, I do agree with Alan that I think this was a qualified political win for the president. The images of him seemingly like a grand statesman next to Kim Jong-un, they're going to play well, right? They're going to play well with his base and they're going to play well with the the middle voter who might have voted for him and is kind of on the fence, depending on, you know, the crazy thing that he said on any given day. But, right. But, 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 Shurmur, but, I, think, but I think, you know, like, the, the, the Democratic and the sort of opposing argument is also valid that the president seems to have given away a lot without getting very much in return. Yes, we got three hostages a few months ago, but since then, there have been no concrete plans from Kim Jong-un to commit to denuclearization. There's been no real steps made towards that goal. And all of a sudden, the president is, you know, promising, you know, ceasing military exercises and ceasing, you know, sort of putting the brakes on a very significant alliance for the U.S., as well as the potential of lifting a lot of these economic sanctions, as well as granting legitimacy to one of the world's, if not the world's most brutal dictator, and not even, you know, pretending to advance the U.S. cause of human rights and, you know, talking about the 100,000, you know, prisoners who are still in North Korea, who are imprisoned by their own government. So I think that in terms of legitimacy, the U.S. has given up a lot here. And, you know, for our allies, that's got to be incredibly worrying.
1: So, but Sharma but I mean, to me this seems like deja vu all over again. We've been down this road. They've broken the deals. The North Koreans have broken the deals uh, with the six-party talks and any other informal or formal agreements we've had with them. Uh, it, It just seems to me that we've got two world leaders that can't be trusted. Who do we go to? Who do we trust on this one?
2: That's very true. I mean, ask the Iranians if Donald Trump can be trusted. They certainly don't think so. Ask the Canadians. Ask, you know, our G7 allies if they think Donald Trump can be trusted. Um, So I think this is a, you know, a potentially scary time. China, you know, given how much economic um, and military prominence they've gained since the G6 talks, could be viewed as the most uh, trustworthy party in these in these negotiations, and they can kind of potentially be seen because President Trump has a good relationship with President Xi, and President Xi seems to have a good relationship with Kim Jong Un. China could be seen as the most trustworthy uh, neutral arbiter of these discussions. But again, that's that's inferring a lot that we don't have real evidence to back up.
1: It, 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 actually, Alan Morse, someone brings up a very really interesting point here. Does is the big winner in this summit Xi Jinping and Beijing? It's China.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, again, um, China appears to uh, to to uh, uh, be a a a winner of of some unknown measure here. None of this is measurable at at this point either. The 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 gain for for Korea, uh, Leader Kim having uh, some, some level of legitimacy, if you will, uh, which is uh, important and valuable to him. Uh, if I were Kim, though, I wouldn't get too excited about uh, President's surprising, apparently unvetted, as was noted, uh, prom- promise to stop joint exercises with South Korea. With President Trump, as we are learning what he gives one day, he will take away the next if something bothers him. So I, I don't like operating that way, believe me. Um, but, but in terms of these things, Alan, these things we supposedly gave, these things we supposedly gave up, um, I, uh, I tend to discount because of, uh, of who, who we're talking about here on the American side.
1: Yeah, but Alan, how can we maintain credibility as a world leader operating that way?
3: Well, I, I mean, we're talking about a bigger issue now, right? We're talking about a president who s- swings, pivots here and there. Just, you know, I know we'll later talk about the G7, but he was all over the lot on the, just over the weekend with the G7, we're um, uh, talking tariffs and then saying maybe we won't, do maybe we should get rid of all tariffs. This president is a huge question mark, but people are beginning uh, around the world, allies and enemies alike, beginning to adjust to him. Um, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It's kind of by necessity. And the American people are also adjusting. Some people love his unpredictability and his bombast. And then if he pivots 180 degrees, they say, oh, it's all part of his master strategy. Other people are <laughs> pulling out their hair saying, you can't function like this. Um, <laughs> but, and, and it but remains to be seen how bad it but really now we're is. Talking, I don't like it.
1: But now, but now we're talking in this press conference, and Admiral Ken, I'm glad you're back on because I want to go back to you for this. You know, during the press conference after this summit, President Trump announced that he would be he would be any and all joint military operations with South Korean defense forces. And my question to you is, from a military aspect, are we in fact seceding our leadership role in the Asian Pacific Rim, and is that dangerous for our national security in the region?
4: Yeah, yes, and yes, absolutely. Um, I, you know, the, the the joke back in the nineties. Um, was who won the Cold War? Japan. Um, who won this summit? China. Um, so, Justin, you know from your your, your military background that um, you 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 fight the way you you fight the way you practice. And if you're not going to practice, you got no idea uh, how you're going to conduct an operation if and when the time comes. Um, uh, Sharmila said it best that we've got a 30-year history of providing mutual support um, uh, in, on the Korean peninsula. Um, you know, and, and if you think that something happening in Korea would not impact the U.S., i throw out a few names like Hyundai, um, uh, LG, uh, Kia. Samsung. Samsung. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on. And so the, the troubling thing for me here is, is not, not because I'm a huge fan of exercises in Korea. Quite frankly, I've done five of them, and I hated every one of them because it's either unbearably cold or unbearably hot. The fact of the matter is that you, you, you fight the way you practice. And if anybody thinks that – you know that anybody on this call really thinks that Kim Jong-un is going to put down the, his one bargaining chip that, that, uh, that got the U.S. – to do something that his grandfather and his father couldn't do, and that sit down for photo op, um, you're, you're 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 sadly m- mistaken. Um, I really think that we are not only we when when the president when the president basically made a decision to uh, suspend military operations, he gave the North Koreans exactly what they wanted, without really getting anything in return. And on top of that, he has basically put the 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 uh, the Japanese and the Chinese on notice that in case something happens we, we we may or may not be there uh china loves this china loves this because now uh, they, they, they've got a position they they're in a position to you know, pretty much kind of do what they want from an economic and even uh from a, an empire building perspective on the on the uh, on the peninsula because they've got a something in, in the belief that the us on the, in its current administration doesn't believe in alliances and if you go back and you look at the behavior of president trump almost since his first day. NATO, um, uh, NAFTA, um, um, the the list goes on and on. This is not someone who thinks that we're getting anything out of alliances when all um, all facts uh, seem to bear uh, an opposite story. So yeah,
1: to answer your question, yeah and yeah. So Sharmila, let me ask you this question. In, judging off of the fact that we, it looks like that Kim Jong-un is a big winner in all this personally how does this deal actually benefit or how does this meeting actually benefit the suffering that's happening in North Korea the population of North Korea you know they President Trump didn't even bring up the human rights issues didn't bring up any of the starvation any of you know any of the uh, corruption that's handled internally Who, who wins in this
2: it's unclear, right? There are no specifics in this agreement, Justin. So there's no telling who wins. Perhaps if some sanctions are lifted, you know, the, the money that will flow into the North Korean economy will flow down to their citizens. Somehow I have a feeling that's not going to be the case. But, um, but I think it, you know, unfortunately right now it's too early to tell because no concrete steps actually came out of this agreement.
1: Alan Moore, we've we've heard some supporters of the summit saying that this is Kim Jong Un almost telegraphing a a new direction for the hermit country. Uh, he's been educated in the West. He understands uh, the pop culture of the West. He's a fan of Western things. It, it, could we be? so optimistic as to be seeing maybe a turn towards a more Western style thought process in North Korea?
3: Well, it's, it's, it's really too early to, in my judgment to draw big conclusions either way. Um, you know, he lived in, he lived in Switzerland, has been noted before at one time in his life. So he's actually got some, some personal experience in the West. Um, and does that influence his thinking does he see north korea uh, joining the family of nations uh, piggybacking onto if you will the, the the economic success of south korea to the south and china to the north i don't know none of us none of us really know um i hope so but i don't know so i'm not sitting here thinking Wow, we're really on a great path. Um, and, and uh, but, but, uh, uh, we've, we're going to have Secretary of State Pompeo and his counterpart uh, continuing to discuss, meet. There will be mid, lower level conversations. We're a little thin at state. In uh, in North Korean expertise, um, but I'm guessing we can find some. We have no
1: ambassador we, to North Korea.
3: I mean, I'm sorry, we have no well,
1: ambassador we, to South Korea. We have no right, but secretary for Asian affairs.
3: It, you know, I we, we we've we, we've talked about how how weak we are through the ranks, and and there's a cost associated with that. Um, it doesn't mean we get, we're we're automatically going to fail. It just means we start out with a with a with a, a weak team. Um, I'm just hesitant to 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 speak with any great certainty as to what it all means. Uh, again, it comes back. I'm glad they had this meeting. I think there were. I think the positives outweighed the negatives, which doesn't mean that I'm a Pollyanna. And and for those who are convinced that that the that the U.S. will never have a joint uh, uh, military operation with South Korea again. I would say, don't be so sure. Don't bet the ranch on it. What? This president pivots and changes his mind in a heartbeat. And and I I, I listen with great interest to everything that that has been said, particularly by Ken, who's lived it, who sees it, who knows it, who senses it. And and I think that the costs of not working with our historic ally. Who is who? Who we have to have um, in, South, in South Korea in, in making anything work? Um, uh, they were apparently apparently caught off guard. Uh, I hope they were given notice. I don't know for a fact. The the reports are that they didn't know. Um, and but uh, with, with President Trump, he will find if he wants to, he will find an excuse in a heartbeat to say, well. So much for that. We're gonna we're, we're we're now gonna have another joint exercise because the North Koreans didn't do what they said they were gonna do.
1: Um, well, I don't like operating that life. way,
3: but but it makes me know that 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 I I tend because of this guy's unpredictability to discount automatically the things that he says. I don't like doing that, but that's what our experience has been now for the 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 fifteen months or so of his presidency. Well,
1: you know, there's there's a storyline coming out of what you were just talking about, Alan. Uh, apparently, Vice President Pence was on the Hill uh, talking to Republican leadership, and he apparently spoke uh, to Senate leaders saying that, in fact, we would continue joint exercises. Uh, when he came out of the luncheon, uh, several senators reported that Pence had said that we were not stopping the joint session. Pence went back and forth. There's a media Twitter storm going back and forth between uh, certain senators and the vice president, uh, Admiral Ken. Does that type of bad messaging coordination trouble you, and should it trouble the leaders over at the Pentagon?
4: Absolutely, it, it does, and yes, it should, because you know, one, if and I, I don't know this is true, but if indeed, uh, if indeed, POTUS, um, you know, gave up the ghost um, uh, on. On uh, the exercises without telling the without telling his Secretary of Defense. If I'm Jim Mattis, uh, I'm, I'm using all of the new new words I learned when, when I joined the Marine Corps. I um, mean this that 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 is and then to compound that with the Vice President delivering quite the opposite message on top of the President uh, having told Sean Hannity that that uh, Kim Jong Un is going to start immediate denuclearization. You know it's 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 absolutely the worst. Um, the worst type of leadership that people who are in decision-making roles can possibly have at their disposal. I mean, who do you believe? And to Alan's point, to to Alan's point that, you know, for 15 months now, you know, we, we, we've, we've been, we've been lied to over, over 4,000 times. And and it it makes it really, really difficult uh, to hear the president say that he, he believes Kim Jong-un is credible. I'm like going. Really? I don't. I don't know who to laugh at first. Here, this is ridiculous.
1: Well, Sean, my last question to you is: you know, one of the goals that kept, or one of the buzzwords that kept coming out of the Singapore Summit was uh, denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Uh, everybody who's familiar with Anti proliferation and nuclear armament uh, uh, de-escalation knows that you know to to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula could take the better part of fifteen years, if not two decades. Uh, is it is it realistic, or is this smoke and mirrors that we're seeing Trump talk about denuclearization, and we're not seeing a lot of that coming out of uh, out of uh, leader Kim. Okay.
2: Well, I mean, I think it's pretty evident that it's complete baloney when you, read the, when you read the president's actual statement about denuclearization, when he says, well, you know, they've taken steps, but also maybe they're not taking steps. And, you know, it takes a long time, but once it starts, it can go very quickly. And it's just, right, it's complete nonsense. He has no idea what he's talking about. Okay. Sure <laughs> and, and that's all there is uh, to it.
1: Okay. Uh, around the horn, it, good thing, bad thing, this summit, Admiral Ken.
4: Um, I I I I say bad. Uh, I I gotta respectfully disagree with Alan. Um, you know I say bad because one, it it has not moved the ball forward. If anything, it is it has made an already difficult situation that much more convoluted and 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 from my perspective more dangerous. Uh, because the president think- has the president has basically mm-hmm. boxed himself in. He's put himself in a box. He has basically gone on record as saying that Kim Jong-un is going to immediately start doing um, – uh, denuclearizing the, the Korean Peninsula and that he has given Kim Jong-un exactly what he wanted, credit bill on the world stage. What's going to happen in, thir- in three days, uh, three weeks, three months when he basically says, ah, you know what? Just kidding. We're going to keep our nukes because then what's, he, what's the president going to do? What's he going to do?
1: Is it your expectation Did we get played?
4: We got played. We've been, I've been saying that we, we've been getting played all along. And if you go back and you look at the North Korean playbook, no pun intended, over the last 30 years, under under Bill Clinton, under Barack Obama, under George W. Bush, under, under George H.W. Bush, the same process, the same, the same steps have been taken by the North Koreans. They put a little bit out, then they yank it back. It's just like playing with your cat with a laser pointer.
1: <laughs> Alan Ward... Good or bad,
3: and did we get played? It's good. It's not great. It's just better than not doing it for all the reasons I've stated uh, on the the notion that, that, that the president got put into a box. This president has shown he goes into a box, then he kicks it out another side. He pivots 180 degrees. I don't like operating that way, but that's how he operates. So I think that it was worth taking the risk, and it remains to be seen. Did, did we get
1: played? Do you agree with uh, Admiral Ken?
3: No, I don't. I don't. I don't think we got played in terms of us getting played. Kim getting played. We we had this meeting. We, we we've got this mess with uh, joint exercises. I see this president deciding. It sounds like Pence already said, "Ah, we'll still be having exercises. The president will find an excuse. The problem is that Kim will then say, "Well, I guess I can't." I, you know it's clear i can't trust this guy either but neither can his allies um but i don't i don't i just don't agree that 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 we got played um we just didn't get much if the president's trying to say this is historic nobody's ever been able to do anything like this in the history of the world well that's nonsense we all know that but but uh, uh i'm 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 glad we're i'm glad we're talking um uh, and signing <laughs> Close, close to meaningless agreements.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sharma, good or bad this summit, and did we get played?
2: Well, g- good for whom is, is, a, is the relevant question. Good for North Korea, good for China. Uh, I think neutral to bad for the U.S. I, think, I don't think that we got played. Oh, she because... changed
3: her mind. She <laughs> changed her yeah. mind.
2: I said neutral to bad. It could have no impact. No, no. no. Or, you, you
3: earlier on said I think it was a positive. That's all. That's you, No, you I said I said it was
2: I said it was a political win for President Trump. No doubt. You know, he it, it was a it was a smart political move for him. What is it a kind of smart move for the United States for the best interest of the United States? I have yet to I think is yet to be seen, but um I don't think the US got played because I think, you know, as everyone else has pointed out, you know, the president, both the president and President and, and Kim Jong-un made promises that they can easily break. So I don't think the U.S. has given up anything yet. Whether we will get played in the future, I think, could be a very real possibility.
1: So, th- so what you're saying is that this is the most – the world's most expensive
3: photo op. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We've had many okay. more expensive than this one. Uh, that's true. That's true.
1: I mean, one could bring up Reykjavik, which I find, hit, which I find comical that people are comparing this. Trump supporters are comparing the Singapore summit to the Reagan-Gorbachev summit in Reykjavik back in the early '80s. I find that comical. But that's neither here nor there. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, speaking of comical, if not tragic, we're going to talk about what happened when Proton showed up in Canada. For the G7 summit uh, Not a good situation with our allies We're going to talk about that when we come back This is back from Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio We'll be back in three minutes Stay with us <laughs> And we're back with the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio from Washington, D.C. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, Sharmila Chari in New York City, from the National Capital Region, Admiral Ken Carradine, and Alan Moore. Hey, let's talk about uh, the interesting events that happened in the Great White North, just above, with our neighbors in Canada. It has been a tense last week, With our major allies, the allies that we consider the G7 or the seven economically developed leaders of the globe, our biggest allies are the G7 members. Uh, It started off with a very tense kind of kickoff coming from POTUS as he was walking out to Marine One to go to Canada. Uh, President Trump made the hitch that maybe we should include Russia back into the G7. They were, it, was, it, it was then the G8, but they were kicked out because of Russia's involvement and annexation of Crimea. The G8 then went back to being the G7. Uh, it, it, it started off badly just before it even started. Uh, it put Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the liberal uh Prime Minister of Canada and the host of the G seven this year, along with our other allies, including Theresa May, Manuel Macron and uh Angela Merkel to say the least, uh it was as some have reported coming out of there, a tense, tense gathering of what should be global best friends. Uh, It it started with that uh, issue with Russia and then went on to talk about tariffs. Bottom line here is uh, when all was said and done, as they usually do at a G7 summit, the members of the G7 came up with a communique and agreed to the communique to be released, basically saying this is our position until we gather next year, but this is what we all plan to do as one group. It then got broken midway uh through uh takeoff on Air Force one where President Trump came back and said, No, we're pulling out of the communique and said some very unkind things about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada. Let's get to it. Um number one, let's start from the beginning. Sherlochari is it is it ludicrous for the president to say, you know what, maybe we should include Russia in the G7. Uh, They are an economic power, but to say we want to include Russia and not include China, who is arguably a bigger economic power, uh, who is he trying to appease here?
2: Well, I was just going to say, I wonder who gave him that idea. Um, (laughs) You know, I think that Yes. You know, at, at at best, it's ludicrous. At worst, it, you know, really belies President Trump's fundamental misunderstanding and disregard for the reason that, uh, that the Russians were kicked out in the first place. Uh, I think that, you know, obviously, it, you know, given sort of the hostility that President Putin has shown towards democratic systems and the democratic values, not just of the U.S., but of the other G7 allies, It would make me, as as an ally, incredibly concerned about where the president's priorities and values are and the fact that he is, again, sort of at of nothing, suggesting the inclusion of a hostile political power to the detriment of the allies that have, you know, been committed to the U.S. and share the same values for, you know, hundreds of years would, again, make me incredibly circumspect of dealing with him as a potential ally going forward. So I think that, you know, I think the president tends to say a lot of things off the cuff just as they come to his head and or, you know, as sort of the last person in the room said to him and he thinks, oh, that's a good idea. I should just say it out loud. But I think that he really, really still hasn't learned to appreciate the kind of long term impact of the things that he's saying. And that's something that, you know, if as if that tendency continues unchecked, is going to keep making our standing in the world worse and worse. In-
1: Alan Moore, as, as a former uh, Assistant Secretary for Commerce for International Affairs, uh, the G7 is is usually considered a friendly gathering where we can talk about how everybody benefits both politically, everybody benefits uh, mutually and economically. For some reason, Donald Trump didn't get that message. How badly did Donald Trump hurt the relationship with our key allies in the g seven and have they in fact made it now g six plus one well
3: i it, it, it beats the hell out of me it, it, it's uh, it, it just as Americans are getting used to a president who has no historical knowledge no interest in gaining any historical knowledge about U.S. institutions, the U.S. Constitution, or in this case, U.S. alliances, what they mean, why they're in our interest, um, uh, things like NATO, things like the G7. Um, he, he treats this as uh, another transaction uh, in the moment where he trusts his own instincts. He doesn't want to listen to people. He knows better. And he says stupid things. He says things that are damaging. Um, now, our allies uh, have started, just as the American people have, to become accustomed to him saying the unexpected, the intemperate, the inconsiderate, the, uh, the incorrect, um, and they sort of throw up their hands. I mean, this happened right after his election, and people were talking about Angela Merkel being the new, <laughs> the new possible un, un, uncrowned head of uh, Western industrial democracies. Um, with regard to Russia, it's interesting. Russia was a latecomer to the what had been the G7. Um, it didn't really have any business there because these are industrialized, democratic. Economies. That's why China wasn't in. That's why Russia wasn't in. But because Russia was such an important factor in, in Europe and because uh, uh, it, it, it tore down the wall and made moves towards, uh, phony as they were, towards uh, democracy, the decision was made to let them in. And then we threw them out after they, they, they took Crimea. It was such a violation of the norms of, uh, of Western democracy um the president has has made uh attempt after attempt to cozy up to uh to president Putin uh for reasons that we don't totally understand there's a lot of suspicion about it uh a lot of it a lot of those suspicions um Uh, Raise serious questions about President Trump and whether or not he's beholden uh, to the Russians. He simply claims, and there's some legitimacy to this, that a country country that important with the kind of nuclear uh, weaponry it has needs to be part of the conversation. Um, And and uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to put up with all of the violations of 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 human rights, of respect for boundaries. Um, and I'm talking about uh, geographic boundaries now uh, when he when they when they took Crimea um, and and the the G7 said enough is enough. And out he went. Um, nobody's talking about bringing uh, out. They went out. Russia went. Nobody's talking. Nobody else is talking about bringing Russia in because it was such a marginal player in the first place. It was you got all these democracies and you've got Russia uh, talking about these issues. If If Russia's in, then China should be in. And then it's no longer the g seven it's something else. it may be something useful who knows but 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 uh uh it, that was just you know one of the lesser bizarre things. what was really truly troubling in all of this was the way that the president turned um on uh uh on prime minister trudeau when when I saw the 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 white House comments the president's comments the white House comments i thought gosh, what did I miss? I got to look at Trudeau's statements again, and I think people all over the country who care about this stuff, those few of us who do, went and took a look. What did Trudeau say that that so triggered that kind of response, not only by him, but by his spokespeople, Larry Kudlow, and uh, Peter Navarro over the weekend? Um, And it's not there. You can't find it. Trudeau is is being typically Canadian, fairly polite, trying to show a little bit of firmness. You know, hey, don't just try to jerk us around. We're going to have to come back and retaliate if you do this. Um, And then, curiously, although not surprisingly, the Kudlow remarks and the Navarro remarks both used the phrase, "Stab stab us in the back as we're leaving town. Now, that's not a coincidence. You just know, you just know that those words, Those exact words came out of the president's mouth. The instruction was, all right, you guys need to talk about how they stabbed us in the back. He didn't stab us in the back. And for those two to say it it harmed both of their credibility. And then Peter Navarro goes
1: farther to use
3: that grotesque comment about the special place in hell for people who turn on us. It's like, oh, my God. He's apologized for it. And this administration never apologizes. That that's a big deal. What an idiot!
1: Yeah. So, so let me let's let's go to that remark though. I mean, uh, Dan Lipner, when when we when all of us were just flabbergasted because not just you know hours after the president went wheels up in Air Force One this. Uh, we're pulling out of the communique. We are not agreeing to being a signatory on anything coming out of the G7. We're out. Uh, and, and plus the just horrific remarks by the administration regarding uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Does, is this a signal that we're losing grasp on being a true economic and political leader in the Western civilized world, let alone the global community?
0: With the events of the last week and with the help of the Russians, we've shown that we can beat the Canadians at their own game. That would be hockey. Uh, <laughs> so we'll get to that, then. We'll
1: get to that. That, that,
0: that. that said, no, everything that the this White House did was nonsense. The only question is whether or not uh, – the long-term effects are really going to stick around after this presidency is over. Uh, so, as far as the actual substance, it was reported that while the president pushed back on on Trudeau about the uh, Canadian tariffs on American dairy, that if the president had uh, stayed in the TPP, the TPP, uh, those same tariffs would have. Gone away, and American dairy farmers would have been able to sell more freely in Canada. Huh, look at that! Things are connected in an interdependent world. Who would have thought? Uh, if you want to go into the fact that that one of the largest things we import from Canada, not dairy,
1: oil. <laughs> that same
0: yeah. that same pipeline that Donald Trump was uh, making a big deal about that now is kind of pointless. But that said, that was a big deal, and the the timber issues that were floating out there like okay so we don't want to negotiate that and if we want to take the additional step for the the manning up and the getting stabbed in the back or being the tough guy uh justin trudeau actually has been in a boxing ring uh for a a a a charity gambit uh that he did a few years ago while donald trump bravely and boldly Accused the the Prime Minister of Canada of stabbing him in the back while running away on Air Force One. Yeah, real tough guy move there. He could have done some of the stuff face to face, but uh, he he he's Manning up when he's not in town. Uh, yeah, that's not exactly the biggest, boldest, bravest thing to do. This is something we're going to have to survive and deal with. None of it's good, and everything that Alan has said is is correct. As as uh, Sharmila has also said, is correct. And if the 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 G7 transitions to a more of an economic uh, partnership, then it's still not clear Russia should belong there, considering they don't produce much other than, than oil and guns. Uh, China pretty clearly should be there if it's an economic issue, which brings us all the way back to TPP. If that's what this is, then... That's what we should be part of, and they shouldn't be uh, dictating the terms of that since we pulled out. But, hey, that's details and
1: facts. Sherman, you know, it's funny because the the administration doesn't even seem to understand its own numbers. Uh, When President Trump left and was doing a little gaggle on Air Force One, he was talking about the big – how Canada's taking advantage of the U.S. and we have a huge – Trade deficit with, uh, with Canada. But when we look at the numbers, and I just went on as, as early as, or as late as this morning and looked at the Office of the Trade Representative, we, in fact, when we look at goods and services, have a trade surplus with Canada. But when asked about it in Singapore, the president doubled down and said, "Uh, no, no, if you look at it, that's not true. That's false information. We have hundreds of billions of dollars in deficit trade with Canada, and that's why we're going to do tariffs. Is is that something that should concern not only uh, the Treasury Department and uh, industry, industry leaders here in the U.S., but our allies as well?
2: Well, look. This is obviously not the first time that the president has made up facts to suit his narrative. It should always be concerning, no matter what the context is. Um, you know, again, I I don't think that there's anything extraordinary here that we haven't seen from this president a hundred times over in terms of him, you know, having an idea and then trying to find evidence to back up that idea and fabricating evidence if necessary you know do i think that perhaps the president wants to seize upon certain industries where there might be a trade deficit with Canada and kind of and highlight those yes that could possibly be what he's doing but the truth is that you know he he wants some leverage to try to renegotiate nafta and this is how he thinks he's going to get it but i think again he is severely misunderstanding the difference between the us position relative to its allies and its neighbors in the mid '90s, versus our versus versus our position now that we have an integrated global supply chain, and again, I think that's going to accrue to his detriment sooner rather than later.
1: Admiral Ken, should should Americans be concerned at the fact that our president, who I mean, if you look at the way he discussed, uh, even even in the press conference after the summit with uh, Kim Jong Il or Kim Jong-un rather, he still refers to my good friends Justin and Angela and Teresa, you know, it's a first-aid basis, hey, they're my buddies, and then pays deep respect to Chairman Kim and what a great leader and what a, what a, what a smart and, and, and brilliant young man he is. Should we be concerned With about that, the fact that great that, behind property? You, 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 yes, that too. We'll talk about that in a second too. But should we be concerned the fact that he is literally kowtowing to uh, our, you know, the biggest tyrants, human rights violators, killers in the world, and just kind of tossing first-name basis around in informal settings with our allies? Could we be worried about that?
4: Humorously uh, and, and, and non-humorously, I've been I've been concerned since his inauguration day. So and, and okay. my my concern has only grown in the uh, in the uh, the 400 or so days since then. Um, I think that a lot can be um, a lot can be discerned from watching how Donald Trump has treated people within his inner circle. Uh, here's a man who thinks that he can do or say anything he wants to, and there will be no 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 consequences for it down the road um you know uh you, you look at his business relationships with holding with not paying bills um you look at um some of the deals that he's made you know with with uh with the, just the the uh, the congress you know he he basically said hey i would have you know i, I would have passed a different bill had it not for these been for these dastardly you know republicans that i can't i can't count on throw the bums out goes on and on and on so this behavior with regard to treating uh, the despots of the world with more respect than he's treating our allies he doesn't think that there's going to be any consequence for that behavior it, It's right out of the Donald Trump playbook and you know Alan made a comment earlier when we were talking about the, about the uh, the summit and the fact that you know that people are getting used to how he behaves both here, people here in the US as well as our uh, our, our, our international neighbors. I find it troubling that 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 we we are using that word that we are getting used to this kind of behavior. We are normalizing that which should not be normalized. We are basically turning a blind eye um, to, to to behavior that we should all hold in uh, in, in, um, in, in, in 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 disrespect and 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 in in dishonor. It's this is not good. This is not good at all. And I think Dan said it best. I think you know what's going to be interesting is how much of this are we going to be able to clean up uh, after this, this administration is gone?
1: Hey, Sherman, should it bother us the fact that the, the, the president is talking about beachfront golf resorts in North Korea as some sort of business opportunity for himself during what should be a historic and very serious uh, international diplomatic negotiation?
2: So I had not heard about those comments until just now, but Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, so Can I down. add something? Uh, yeah, please, Alan. <laughs> go ahead and add something, please. Yeah,
3: yeah. So, well, far be it for me to to defend Donald Trump. And by the way, I, I completely 100% agree with Ken that the fact that 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 all of this behavior is sort of being normalized is a horrendous notion. But it is being. You know, the American people are sort of saying, Oh, yeah, you discount it. You can't believe him. What happens when we need to believe him Um, because we know he'll pivot Um, and our allies know it. Uh, The enemies are not stupid. They'll know it. The American people know it. Apparently, some Americans actually love it. I hate it. Now, with regard to his, however, with regard to his comment, when he talked, he talked about the, the, the shoreline of North Korea, he said, it's a beautiful country. There are beaches up there. It's right between South Korea and China. There are a lot of business opportunities there they They could build hotels and condominiums and and have yes. resorts. He never ever once said I could, we could, my company could. It was a more general observation so oh, before we Alan. before we get carried away saying he he is suggesting we build this stuff. Whoa. It was well, a general Alan is,
0: statement. Alan is technically correct. However, do you honestly think there wasn't a subtle implication there? Really, Alan? Really?
3: Well, here again, you know, are we? It, it, it's, you can't pick and choose. We can't always take him literally and 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 and, and pick and choose, right? So. Do we, we take we, him we, literally, we, or do we? You know, Alan, he I, All I'm fuses. saying is, all I'm saying is, what he said. Let's be accurate about what he said. Okay. We can argue about what okay. he might mean. That's
1: okay. all. I'm just fair pointing it enough. out. Fair enough. Fair enough, Alan. That is, that is a that is a that is a fair statement. I I will give you that. Uh am getting. Kind of earlier you, you it, know about, you know, uh, you uh, you know cannabis Less cannabis,
4: oh, cannabis, cannabis is oh, only legal inside the district, Alan. Only inside the district.
1: <laughs>
4: Here we go.
3: You guys, it's so interesting. You guys think that we've already got a sweet, great deal with North Korea, where any legitimate investor would want to go <laughs> and build something up there. You can't have it both ways, guys. You can't say this will never happen. This is ridiculous. That's not we're being what we This this that, will never happen. And then in the next in the next breath, saying, "Oh, here comes Donald Trump organization wanting to Alan, build hotels up there."
4: Alan, Alan, that's that, how, that is not Alan, that's that's, not what that, that, that's what we're saying, Alan. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that that based on this on, on this previous behavior. Based on the fact that he has not separated himself from the Trump organization the same way that his predecessors separated themselves from the bu- business dealings, he is basically you know, uh, making the point, hey, you know what, Here's some, here, there's some money to be made here. And if you think the boys back at Trump International are not jumping through hoops right now trying to figure out how to get that done, you're, you're, you, you really do need to spend more time in, this, in the district. Kim, Kim!
3: Kim! Kim! <laughs> You think that, that, that North Korea is a good, safe location for, for major investment on its That's coast? That's never stopped you're the, him you're so guy, far. You're the guy, you're the it guy who's saying, it. this will never happen. This it will never happen. We're being it has, played.
4: It, it hasn't stopped him so far, and I hold as my <laughs> evidence. Alan, <laughs> let yeah. Alan, let me finish. Alan, I hold as my evidence five bankruptcies. It hasn't stopped him so far. One more, we'll keep. We'll oh
1: my, All right, you know, okay, all right. I'm gonna step in here real quick. <laughs> Bottom line here, around the horn, did 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 the president's uh, did the president's actions and words at the G7 help or hurt us as being the true leader of Western democracies? Alan Moore.
2: It hurt
3: us.
1: sharmila Chari.
2: Hurt, no question.
1: Dan Littner
0: the volcano in the Pacific Rim is still on fire.
1: <laughs> ah, Very good. can you just give us a simple one word? Good grief, Dan. Admiral Ken.
4: I have to agree with my friend and mentor, Alan. It hurt us.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It, that was, it, a, that it, was, it was really an easy was one. A, yeah, it was a, definitely a kick in the nuts to us. But that's sure. <laughs> All right, when we come back, when we come back, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some of the lunacy that's been happening inside uh, inside Washington D.C. Uh, apparently, uh, the uh, the special counsel has been pretty busy lately. We're going to talk about that when we get back. This is Backroom Politics, the best political talk show you've never heard of, live on Blog Talk Radio from Washington D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. Music. And we're back here live from Washington, D.C., for the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me, as they do every Tuesday, Dan Littner, Admiral Ken Carradine, and Alan Moore from New York City. We have Sharon Lachari and our associate producer working the boards from an undisclosed location in Washington, D.C., probably close to where the capitals had their march. I give you Audrey Howerton. Uh, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, you know, we were going to talk about the special prosecutor or the special counsel's office, uh, latest and greatest, but this thing with the tariffs in Canada has really gotten me bothered, and, and I just wanted to touch on a little bit about this, because would it, would it, would this whole discussion with just the tariffs with Canada, who arguably is probably our closest ally in the world, I mean, you know, some have even accused it of being the 51st state. We're so close to them. Or they could accuse the United States of being the 11th province, depending on which side of the border you're on. But what really bugs me about this is that, that uh, uh, can, Canadians do. No, they don't. Okay. The, the reality is that when you talk about uh, tariffs and you talk about the numbers, and Alan should be proud of this, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about what the reality is versus the rhetoric that's being put out there. And even economic advisor Larry Kudlow, which, by the way, I do want to take a moment. Uh, I, I do want to say it was announced, actually the president announced it as he was driving to the summit site. Yesterday evening, Larry Kudlow suffered a, uh, a heart attack and is currently in Walter Reed Hospital. Um somebody who I've dealt with before, I just want to say to Larry Cudlow, hope you have a speedy recovery. If you're listening, that's even better. But we wish him a happy and speedy recovery. Hope he gets back to talking reality soon. But the reality is, and Alan Moore, I want to go to you because you dealt with these issues as a uh, assistant secretary of commerce. How important just at the at the national level is the Canadian market to the US.
3: So it's one of our bigger trading partners. Um, and and what's curious is the the fact that we're disputing what the numbers are. International trade consists of trade in goods whether it's a manufactured good or a commodity like oil uh, or natural gas um, and in services where we sell banking insurance uh, financial uh, consulting services and in both cases um, money flows in one direction and something of value flows in the other direction whether it's a whether it's uh, a commodity, or uh, I mean, or manufactured good, goods, if you will, and services, and and most economists agree that if you're worrying about dollar flows, you have to look at both. Um, and and what the president has chosen to do uh, for a long time um, is. Uh, a doesn't appear that he he's ever differentiated between goods and
1: services.
3: (coughs) He's looked, he's looked at the totals and he's outraged that with many, many countries, we have a trade deficit, if you will. That is we buy from them either goods and goods or services. uh, we, We buy more than we sell to them. And in the way that, that, that Trump who, who loves to brag about his education at uh, the Wharton School at Penn? Apparently, didn't he didn't uh, take uh, Econ 101 um, or maybe 102? Let's give him a break here to understand um, that 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 is that looking at that simple number is not a good uh, measure, a good metric of the relationship between two countries. The easiest example being some somebody from whom, for example, we might import oil and sell them nothing. So we would have a massive, if it was a lot of oil, we would just buy their oil because we need their oil. They've got something that we want, and they don't want anything from us. But we're getting the oil that we want, that we would have a huge trade deficit. Donald Trump's world, that would be a disaster. That would mean that we were somehow being played. We were being taken advantage of. Um, you just but you multiply that out you look at all sorts of different countries and realize that um, deficits and surpluses are going to depend on the relative strengths and products of, of, of two different economies in the case of Canada, we import quite a bit of both raw material, particularly oil as was mentioned earlier and lumber. Um, and as well as well, we import quite a few automobiles. They are they are uh, U.S. manufacturers, where products, uh, pieces of, of of an automobile move back and forth across the border. So we may send uh, tires and engines and and chassis uh, up to Canada, where they're assembled into. Uh, in into in Chevys or Buicks or Fords, and then they come back across the border. And these are relationships that have evolved over decades, but, if you will, well established, is- trusted. And and what what uh- the president is now trying to do is say, we 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 import more goods from Canada than we export, although we export more services. And when you add them together, we actually have a slight surplus, curiously we enough, eight, with Canada. An
1: eight and a, and, we have an $8.5 billion dollar and, surplus.
3: Yeah, out of like 151 or so billion dollar uh, relationship. It's a big relationship, and the, the numbers move around, and, and they don't really matter to this president. Um, and he refuses to look at the two pieces. And then in a speech says, yeah, they say it might be a few billion, but I think that you could make a case that it's up to a hundred billion. What? How? Where? Where's the evidence there? Yeah. But but you know we've come to to be used to this president who says stuff that has no factual basis. And well, you,
1: you, let me bring, sadly, let me bring up one thing. Let me bring up one thing, Alan, because cause the one the one that the one glaring one, you know how Canada is treating us unfairly. Okay and and i talked to a friend of mine in canada in ontario about this and the 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 product is dairy now right now the canadian government charges a 270% tariff on some dairy products including certain cheeses you know um and yet we still have a trade surplus of dairy with a 270% or 270% tariff on our dairy products, they still have a trade surplus in dairy. Now, either the Canadian dairy products suck that badly that they are willing to pay the tariff on Wisconsin cheese and dairy, or it's just that this is this is a product that has gone back and forth because of NAFTA. The dairy industry is uh, a boom for them. They're still at a trade surplus with that kind of tariff. How does that explain or how does that meet up with the president's numbers
3: as far as so, that so the, Canada- the the product the product that was being talked about represents less than one tenth of one percent of the trade with Canada. It's a nothing. Which is it's a little baby nothing. It was cited simply, you know, and you can imagine how President Trump would do this. He sees some some you know a page or two of of of, of representative tariffs that the that the Canadians charge uh, on U.S. products, and just as the U.S. Has some highly protective tariffs, starting with sugar, um, uh, on on other countries. Um, Canada and and we have some our own high tariffs on dairy. We protect the uh, the Upper Midwest, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, as well as Vermont dairy farmers. Um, uh, and, and the Canadians do too. The, the the Europeans have notoriously protected their agricultural uh, commodities. In in Japan, they protect protect their rice producers. Different countries have their own political dynamic, and they set up certain tariffs to protect particularly powerful constituencies. I don't know the what exact what it is that has that 270 percent tariff. It's just that it's an outlier. It is not in any way representative of the tariff structure that that Canada has, but it works as a useful example. And the president uses it, throws it out in a tweet, and it makes people think, "Oh my God, look at those tariffs!" And 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 it 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 is it is a distortion of reality, and it also <laughs> distorts the fact that the U.S. also has some weird outliers for particular products. Um, it it is. It, it it now Dan earlier said gee if we were in tp it would solve that problem well not exactly and you're not going to want us you know that, that that's not an argument to to there're much better arguments believe me to 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 rejoin the uh the the pacific partnership than this little mini 270% tariff on some narrow brand of i guess it's cheese so so it, 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 no no the but president but here's, here's has a duty point, though, to Alan, the president has a duty to educate and he won't educate himself and if he won't educate himself, how can he possibly educate the public
0: but, but Do we know point, what Devin Nunes actually <laughs> produced with his dairy farm
1: uh it's it's if if he's importing it to Canada, it's being tariffed at 270 percent but here's the thing though. My point in bringing this up was even at 270%, okay, which is what the president was talking about when he was talking about our agricultural products are being unfairly tariffed, we still have a trade surplus. We are still exporting to Canada more dairy than we're importing. So how does that justify (laughs) the president's – and those are numbers out of the trade representative's office again Dan Rutner, how does how does the president justify vilifying our biggest trading partner our largest our largest supplier of foreign oil and a a trading partner under our largest trading partner arguably how does he justify vilifying them if even with their tariffs we still have a surplus
0: I'll give you two quick answers, one of which is Alan Moore just said American dairy farmers don't matter, and Devin Nunes.
1: But, but, but again, what? I, I, that's what I'm trying to figure out. What are you saying?
3: No, no, my, my point is being Dan, is. why is Dan, Why is Dan on this show? I, I, well, because usually he's good. Usually he's the, good, the, but every the, once in
0: a while... Question, the, question is, the question is, who has the president's ear and when and whatever nonsense comes out of his mouth? So as as far as a a talking point you throw out there, who knows? Maybe the good congressman from California uh, who has an interest in dairy was the last person to talk to the president and said, you know, we really got to stick it to the Canadians and, and what they're doing to dairy. That could very well be it, or it could just be he was looking for something to throw out there, and the one page of a 100-page document that went through the entirety of the trade with Canada, the dairy thing was the one thing he knew how to understand, because you know he may have had a, a cup of milk at some point in his life, or a cheeseburger, one or the other, and suddenly the president's like, oh, I understand what that is, and therefore chose to talk about it. Alan's right. It is a a, a remarkably small thing in a list of many issues that now we're talking about this and the real issues that are at play that could have been dealt with at the meeting aren't being talked about at all.
1: Well, Sharma, I guess my point is, and the the reason why I bring up the dairy example is because, you know, if if he's looking to pick a fight – with and, and, and it's such a theory. I mean the, the folks in Ottawa now are talking about going after bourbon, soy, uh you know, wheat, barley, all the stuff that they're willing to, to go take a shot at, because they have their own breadbasket that they can deal with. Why the reason why I bring up dairy is because even with a two hundred and seventy percent tariff and we still have a trade surplus in dairy now all that's going to do is make it a bigger tariff and probably hit the dairy farmers on top of the people who make bourbon, who harvest soybeans and grains, etc., and trying to keep that under wraps. Where's the logic in
2: this? Well, I think you're right, Justin. It, it does sort of seem like the logical conclusion is President Trump you know, politically shooting himself in the foot. By you know attempting to quote unquote stand up for, uh, you know dairy farmers and dairy manufacturers, he has you know created this trade war or trade tiff, whatever you want to call it, whereby the Canadians and you know our other allies are going to strategically going to punish industries whose. Who are composed of Trump supporters, right? So you, the soybean farmers, the you know Kentucky bourbon makers, uh, Harley Davidson, in, in the Midwest, um, you know all these bases of support for him are suddenly going to be hit where they're going to feel it most in their wallets and and in their paychecks, and that is not. It's it's again one of these sort of like insane self-inflicted wounds that the president stumbles into for no apparent reason. All in the Admiral I think Penn all in the service of all in the service of you know claiming to to be standing up for the American people or to be standing up for his voters when really he's just harming them.
1: Admiral Ken, should Americans be concerned with the fact that the, 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 that Peter Navarro, the US trade representative, the man who was supposed to represent us on these issues doesn't even understand the numbers that his office produces and should be touting and should be advising the president on.
4: So, so I'll answer the question like this. So uh Sunday, Sunday evening, I, I was having a, uh, a cigar with a very good friend who is not a, not an ignorant person uh, down in Tampa, Florida. And he was a hundred percent on board with all the comments that Peter Navarro made uh, because he thinks that it 's important that that actual Americans are able to afford things like bourbon and harley Davidson the, the bottom line is this um, we 've seen this before with other uh, uh, trumpian type of comments. Uh, the people that are that are supporting him will find a way to spend this, spend this spend this to the point where they 're not concerned about it uh, because to be concerned about it would uh, equates being disloyal. So should they be concerned about it? Yeah, but, you know, Justin, you, you said yourself that the unfortunate truth of the matter is that we have uh, an uninformed and, and uh, disconnected electorate. They're not paying attention. It doesn't affect them directly. They're not going to worry about it. Now, the, those, those dairy farmers and uh, those bourbon producers in Kentucky and, uh, and the Harley-Davidson folks, they represent a very, very small minority of people who vote in this country, very small. And the noise that they might make will be muted out by the, uh, the folks standing to the right and the left who are just ardent Trump supporters. Sorry, just the way it is. It,
1: uh, Alan, Alan Moore, you know, it, it, at some point, it, we're going to have to start dealing with reality. I mean, is it going to take a complete isolationist approach from our allies towards our market? To wake us up on this?
3: Well, <laughs> you know, we we've all struggled for for more than a year to to figure this president out, to predict what what the result of a particular statement or announced policy will be. And just when we're convinced we know what's going to happen, he pivots and does something different. He was going to do tariffs, then he waited on the tariffs. And we thought that they were going to be delayed for a period of time. And then suddenly he's going to impose steel and aluminum tariffs. And then in addition to that, some other tariffs. And and but we also know from observing that he is also subject to changing, spinning again on a dime. Um, The the he'll pick out an example. And, you know, we all do this to try to make our argument of something that sounds outrageous. Uh, And you pointed out correctly that we actually have a a sizable uh, trade surplus in milk product with Canada. Well, how could that possibly be if there's a 270% uh, or thereabouts uh, tariff? Well, because because Canada wants to control milk supply, it it allows certain quotas, a certain amount of milk product, uh, milk, cheese, dry milk, etc., that has a minimal tariff of seven or eight percent, and that's where most of the, the U.S. supply goes uh, that that is it, it's 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 uh, taxed hardly at all. Um, but once that once the supply targets are met in under the Canadian system, in order to avoid a massive sur- you suddenly trigger these huge tariffs. It's it's a little unusual, but it affects stuff only at the margin. U.S. farmers sell a lot of milk product, twice as much as we import, as you pointed out, um, uh, to Canada. Um, and the president cherry picks a fact that is a fact. It's just a a, a very deceptive, exaggerated fact. The way he uses it now. I don't know how the Canadians are actually going to respond to the 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 presumed new tariffs on uh, on softwood lumber um, perhaps on oil um, why why we would want to increase the cost of of oil to ourselves just out of spite who knows um, automobiles um, the 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 Canadians will for for self protection purposes need to respond in kind. And this is a country with which, by everybody's measure except our president, we have a trade surplus. I don't yeah, I, I won't be at all surprised to see this president once he is confronted with facts and let's say a tariff on soybeans and the the agricultural interests step forward to say, well, all right, let's see. How do we we we, we don't want to tariff on soybeans because there's Brazilian soybeans that we actually have to compete with in the world and we don't want to divert uh the 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 the, the market from America to to Brazil on soybeans. So never mind, what do we, what can we do? What'll it take? Let's let's do another single issue transaction with the Canadians and our U.S. Trade what Representative Bob Lightheiser, who's who's in talks with Canada. He's not Peter Navarro, by the way. Peter Navarro works in the White House. He's crazy. Bob Lightheiser actually knows what he's doing, um, and and he's trying to actually renegotiate aspects of NAFTA and and calm things over after the president says and and, and sanctions ugly things to be said about Prime Minister Trudeau. And the Canadians in general, he's actually trying to do real work, um, and it's made a whole lot harder uh, by all this garbage that that was floating around after the G7 and, but, and from some some of the president's but, own spokespeople.
1: Alan, eventually we're gonna, eventually we're not gonna be able to dodge that bullet to the point where, you know, I mean, everybody talks about, and, and a lot of the Trump supporters, and I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong, but. You know our economy is booming. We have virtually no unemployment. We're at the lowest unemployment numbers in history, according to Trump supporters. The, the reality still dictates is, is 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 the economy stable enough to, whereas we can effectively hit in the pocketbooks the industries and the electorate that put Donald Trump into office, because that's what these trade wars are going to do. They're not going to hit Silicon Valley. They're going to hit middle America.
3: I I just don't think the president understands that yet, but I think he will. And I think our, our experience with him shows that when he sees that there's risk of that, he will say, first of all, how do we hit them harder? And then when he realizes that maybe in some instances you can't just keep pounding and squeezing and whipping these so-called bad actors who were always our allies. And he says, okay, fix it, fix it this way, fix it that way. Some of it will go away. No one wants to operate with that kind of unpredictability. One of the, one of the issues that, that Trudeau and Trump uh, have, that is substantive. The president wants to to add a provision to NAFTA that every five years it has to be renewed. Most people who are dealing in the world of international trade think that's a bad idea. What you'd like is just like you'd like with your tax system is a degree of certainty. People understand what the rules right. are. And then, and then if you want to change and renegotiate and so on, because there's a need for it, you do it, but you don't automatically sunset deals that affect such significant uh, we'll uh, uh, p- parts of of the economy and they're saying that's a non-starter. Well, President Trump doesn't like people to say that's a non-starter, unless he's the one who's saying it, in which case it's, he'll it's say it all the time, all day long.
1: <laughs> Sharmu, Sharmu Chari, does it does it disturb you the fact that the president's key advisor on trade, Peter Navarro, is, and, and, and I and I hate using this because Peter Navarro, I've always believed to be a very smart businessman, but does it bother you that Peter Navarro, the, the, the president's chief advisor on trade, is ignorant to the reality of what's going on, almost to the detriment of the people that put Trump into office, the, the people in the Midwest, the people in agriculture, the people in manufacturing?
2: Yes, but... No more so that it bothers me that so many of the president's appointees are ignorant of the field to which they're appointed, right? If you look at you know, for anyone from Betsy DeVos to uh, Secretary Ben Carson to Secretary Rick Perry to uh, German Ambassador Richard Grinnell, so many okay. of the president's appointments are okay. incredibly ignorant and sort of incapable of doing the job that he's assigned them that – Yes, Peter. Like yes, Peter Navarro's comments bother me, and yes, you know it is unfortunate that we have this sort of inc- incredible trade hawk, uh, you know, advising the president. But I, I don't think that he is any better or worse than any of the other any, any other the, other presidents' incredibly ignorant and bad appointments.
1: Right. Well, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna blow through the uh, we're gonna blow through the break. We we've taken this a lot this segment a lot longer, so I'm gonna blow through the break. I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the latest developments in uh, in the special world of the special counsel here in Washington, D.C. As we talked about last week, the incredible stupidity of some of the people inside Trump world, uh, I give you Paul Manafort. Uh, We reported last week that uh, Paul Manafort had, in fact, been accused by the special counsel's office and brought before a federal judge of apparently witness tampering and yet uh he still did it so anyway well we've now had a brand new indictment handed down by the special prosecutor's office uh the new criminal charges it's and it's the first one against a uh known associate of paul manafort a a russian uh in a former russian intelligence officer or a former uh a, a russian with Ties to the intelligence apparatus in Moscow, Konstantin Kilnick, uh, both of them have been charged uh, by the Justice Department for uh, obstruction of justice by way of tampering with witnesses. The new charges, the first public ones against Kilnick, with the allegations that uh, in fact, on open phone lines and open emails and open texting, Paul Manafort and Klimek were trying to get to people, witnesses on the on the special counsel's list and trying to get them to collaborate stories together. Um, Admiral Ken, I know we talked about it last week, but I just want to go back to the fact that now it looks like Paul Manafort is going to spend, uh, he's spent his last day of freedom. Uh, he's going to go inside his actual trial. how stupid of a move is this, and how worried should the president and the inner circle be about this?
4: Well, so I don't have a word in my vocabulary that describes something that's that's big uh, enough to talk about how really stupid that was. But again, you know, it it comes out of hubris. These people, these people, I, I have come out of an environment where they pretty much got to do what they wanted to do without there being any recompense, and it's hubris at at a at, a, at, a, at an epic scale. Um, you know, I, I think that um, that that the president um, probably is 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 doing some things that he's trying to behave like he's not guilty of anything. That's the only thing I can come up with, uh, with his recommendation about letting Russia back into the G seven, especially when he knows that's just about as a hot button issue as, as anything he can possibly talk about. But um, it was incredibly dumb. And, um, and I think that, um, uh, you know, part of the, I think the desire to put Manafort behind bars um, is to get him to squeal, and I think that um, you know, depending on how how um, how he's treated and and how I guess strenuous that environment might be, he it, it it might not take that long for him to start telling what he really knows. But um, Dan, Lipner, I, I I couldn't I couldn't believe he did it. I mean, I was just absolutely I was flabbergasted. I said nobody's this stupid, but apparently there yeah. are.
1: Yeah, Dan Lipner is, is does Paul Manafort now. Pose a very direct political liability and legal exposure to the president and the administration
0: well that's still unclear. I mean it, apparently I was incorrect. I was hoping that it was the trump boys uh, that he, uh, were uh, were involved but unfortunately, that was not the case uh, it, It's still not clear what all the what all the dots connect to and I don't think he's more of a liability than he was before. That's not to say I don't think he was a liability. He clearly still is, but the question is whether or not the degree has gotten worse. I don't know.
1: Let me ask you this question, then. Does this put additional pressure on... uh, Does this put additional pressure on the president to possibly issue a preemptive strike pardon, which is a new term I've just heard, uh, for Paul Manafort, for... Any and all crimes that may have been committed in the past, does this put pressure on him to issue a get-out-of-jail-free card for Paul Manafort?
0: Well, again, to be clear, it's a, it, it's a pardon against federal crimes, and it's absolutely not clear that Paul Manafort isn't uh, accused of other other crimes that the presidential pardon would not reach. And there's also other problems created that because then Paul Manafort if pardoned for those crimes is suddenly available civilly for absolutely everything else. So there are other problems out there so a preemptive pardon uh, might not cover what some of the president's legal advisors might think it would cover however it's going back to the fact that the president's legal advisors are not exactly the best lawyers in the world at least the ones that are still sticking around Uh, and that in includes the uh, the good former mayor of New York, who I actually did have to look up to see if he was still a member of the New York Bar in good standing, and I was genuinely surprised to see he is. Uh, yes. But
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. No, no. I, no so, so the only question is
0: what his lawyers think they'll gain from it, and I'm going to go out and say they're probably going to be wrong with Whatever he thinks the president will gain for it versus what they'll lose. The loss is probably going to be higher.
1: Charlotte, sure. well, you know, if you look at support for the special counsel's office that's been uh, happening of recent, you look at the polls, uh, about eight months ago when polls were out of Americans, do you support uh, Mueller's special counsel investigation continuing? It was at 64% back in June of 2017. Now, a year later, it's at 56%, and that's a and it's getting closer and closer to that 50% line. Uh, should there be a fear uh, of the electorate, or should there be a fear that you know once that number gets to 50% or 49 or 51, that that's enough incentive for the president to just Set this all down and say, you know what, we're tired of it.
2: Uh, yeah, I think that's a very legitimate question. Um, and I think, unfortunately, Robert Mueller's precision is probably what's turning the tide a little uh, against him a little bit. You know, in, in addition to the president's sort of constant drumbeat of this is a witch hunt, this is a witch hunt, and sort of as Robert Mueller has still failed to or hasn't yet produced any evidence really concretely tying the president to a crime or concretely exonerating the president from a crime he seems to still be you know fishing around the sides of the president's orbit i think people are sort of seeing this as well you know it's been this long and he still hasn't found anything and it's been you know If they were going to find something on the president, they'd found it already. I think that that mentality is starting to set in. So I think you're certainly right that it could be dangerous that if support for the Mueller investigation falls publicly below 50 percent or around 50 percent, the president could feel very justified in in ending the investigation.
1: Alan Ward, I mean, is there really any sort of political... Uh, argument that the president shouldn't, once he sees those numbers, hover around 50% to shut it down? There's not really any political liability for him, is there?
3: Well, there's a huge political liability for him. Absolutely there is. Um, and and uh, uh, this is one of, the, one of the few issues on which Republicans have uh, showed some, some level uh, of courage, saying let, it, let Mueller do his job, leave him alone. Um, and and if he were to fire Mueller, um, that wouldn't stop the investigation uh, in and of itself. Now that I'm not saying he couldn't shut the investigation down, but he'd have to fire a bunch of other people to 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 make that to to get that done. And it really would be hell to pay. Um, and and the president maintains, and I still am inclined to believe that that he himself. Is you know that, that that there's no slam dunk evidence that he himself colluded, or that he himself uh, was motivated in some big way by an obstruction of justice. Uh, it, it, it it's not up to me to decide. I'm just talking about what I see. Um, uh, with regard to Manafort, Manafort's problems are the are are Manafort's problems. It does it's not helpful to. To uh, to the president. But there's no evidence that all the stuff Manafort was doing, including the uh, the alleged and I'll mention it, remind everybody it's alleged witness tampering um, uh, is uh, was done for what would what would appear to be Manafort interests, Manafort trying to protect himself, not Manafort trying to protect the president but manafort trying to protect his own behavior over in recent years in representing ukraine and bringing in other people to represent ukraine interests but not report it not uh not report income apparently and not file the required forms for people who were lobbying uh on be on behalf of ukraine that wasn't the president's stuff um does Manafort know things about the president that could be horribly damaging to the president? He might. I think there's a lot of evidence that whatever Manafort was up to in joining the campaign, not taking uh, pay, um, now that we know so much about what he's been doing in recent years, um, you, you, you can see a strong case for Manafort trying to protect his own personal financial interests and doing it in a way where, where he could have this elevated position with a guy that Manafort correctly saw as a, as a, as a viable, legitimate uh, candidate for president and possible victor. Um, it's just that uh, his, his problems caught up with him before he could be part of the winning team. Um, I don't see that, uh, you know, there, there's obviously a lot we don't know about the Manafort-Trump uh, Uh, relationship. But just because we don't know about it doesn't mean it was nefarious and secret and uh, full of collusion. After all, Manafort's close partner, Rick Gates, his right-hand guy for a dozen years, turned, cut a deal with Mueller. That's presumably why we know about this alleged uh, witness tampering, because Gates... Provided the data about it Um, It's very harmful To Manafort but it's not Necessarily it doesn't necessarily Implicate the president I think the president's Just going to say sorry Paul uh, You're on your own out here buddy Um, And then if and when He's convicted um, uh, The president Can make a make a judgment On whether he Would want to be helpful or not and no matter What happens to the Mueller investigation the Manafort charges are, are going forward. He's set for trial in, I think, July and September. He's got one in D.C., one trial in D.C. and one trial in uh, in Virginia. And as people have pointed out, even if the president chose to pardon him for federal crimes, there are a host of state crimes, um, not least of all is tax evasion, um, that – that uh, that he would be subject to, no matter what the president does. I, I, I think Manafort's out there exposed in a pretty lonely way, um, and Mueller is pouring on the pressure. But to get for Manafort to turn, um, yeah. hello, we
1: lose. I think we lost Alan. Okay. Uh, just,
3: I'm, just, just a, I'm still here, but I guess I wasn't heard.
1: No, 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 no. you broke off there for a little bit, Alan. Sorry about okay. that.
3: Sorry. Yeah, I heard okay. you guys. I hear you guys. So anyhow.
1: Okay. Um, uh, Dan, let me please, please go to Dan Littner real quick. Last comment is, uh, does, does it make sense for the president, as Alan pointed out, to just let See where the chips fall and say, you know, cut all ties with Manafort and let him let him hang.
0: I mean, nothing this president does makes sense. So let's just get that out of our our our, our lexicon when referring to Trump. Uh, but as far as whether or not it makes sense for him legally, again, this again doesn't make sense to even try to guess what he's going to do. But it's worth noting on two points, and one of which is. The justice should not be laid at the hands of public opinion for an uninformed electorate. That's point number one. Point number two is we still have no idea what Manafort has. He's gotten a lot of people to flip, and and he has not put all his cards to the table. He has been diligently working at this for a long time. And is there anyone on the show who doesn't believe that If the president pulls the trigger, there isn't a file that will mysteriously pop up containing everything else for any other prosecutor in the country?
1: No, that's a good point. Let that be the last word. Hey, uh, I want to bring in our associate producer, Audrey Howerton, who's at at an undisclosed hip coffee place somewhere in the (laughs) District of Columbia. Audrey, are you there?
2: I am.
3: Can you hear me?
1: Of course. You, you were making it sound like you were in Grand Central Station. It, it, it's not that loud. It could I, I, or did, you go, did I moved. <laughs> you moved. Okay. Audrey, first of all, thank you again for all your hard work. Uh, now's the part of the show where we talk about our little uh, parachute pool. Since people thought that Deadpool was inappropriate, we're going to do the presidential power sh- pool And, uh, Audrey, recap, since we had two weeks, uh, go ahead and tell us who had what two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, Sharmila had Wilbur Ross.
0: Ken, you had Scott Pruitt. Dan, Stephen Milner, Alan, John Kelly, and Justin, you had Rod Rowenstein. All five of those people are
2: still working
0: in the administration. However, I would like to note, Two separate people did leave the White House within the past week. Uh, the first was Kelly Sadler,
2: who made the comments about uh, Senator McCain's health. And Stephen, I'm going to pronounce his name incorrectly, Chang, who was part of Trump's
0: communication staff and on his campaign team way back when in 2016.
1: Okay. All right. Now... Also, for the record, none of us got who person A and person B were, is my understanding, because we don't that know who person A is. Correct. Okay. Well, I okay. think there, there was an article in The
2: Atlantic that hazards a pretty good guess the identity of person A, but none of us guessed it.
1: Okay, but none of us guessed it. Exactly. So, anyway, that being the case, uh, I will start this week, Admiral Ken. Who do you have in the parachute pool? Or are you gonna let it ride?
4: I'm gonna put in Sarah Huckabee Sanders because she was raised as a good Baptist Christian girl and this this lying and cheating and in, in uh, fronting for the president's gotta catch up with her conscience at some point.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh Sharma who do you got?
2: Um, you know what? I'm gonna throw a curveball and go with Mr. Rudy Giuliani. Really? Yes, for him
1: Why his... Rudy? Why Rudy?
2: Because the pres- president's finally going to wake up and realize the cumulative embarrassment that Giuliani has caused him, including a very unflattering article in Page Six today, and dump him.
4: And, and because Milani is oh. going to say, and because is going to say, dump him. Yeah. <laughs> oh
1: wow. What What happened on Page Six? I didn't hear that. What happened on Page Six?
2: Apparently, he was cheating on wife number three with mistress number four. Excuse me That is with, very
1: presumptuous to say it's only Mistress number four
0: <laughs> Sorry but I'm
3: thinking maybe with Mistress number question mark <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, Oh good god Okay okay, okay. allegedly Allegedly anyway uh, Alan Moore who do you pick
3: So This may seem a tad Like morbid and unfair But I'm going to go with Larry Kudlow
1: Oh, oh, wow.
3: You, oh,
1: you took it. I was going to go with that one. Darn it. <laughs> hey,
4: hey, no,
3: hey, hey I You know what? Okay, a- you, Alan. You take Cutlow. I'll take Navarro. I'll Alan? take Navarro.
4: Alan?
3: Okay. Alan,
4: just, yeah. Alan just redeemed himself. He is a real Republic, Republican.
3: God bless you, sir.
1: You, no, 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 no. Give, <laughs> give, give Larry Cutlow. I'll take
3: Navarro. I'm going with Navarro for the sin of apologizing.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Then I will take Larry Kudlow because I'm still, I'm still not convinced that Larry Kudlow didn't have a Fred Sanford type heart attack just to get out of working with this administration. I could, (laughs) I could see Larry Kudlow going, Oh, this is a big one. Oh, this is a big one. It's coming. And yeah, I can't work for you anymore. Sorry, Mr. President. You're going to have to find somebody else. Uh, Dan Littner, did you pick?
0: I have not picked because uh, Admiral Ken stole my standby of, of Sarah Huckabee, uh, even though I do firmly believe she's ch- checked out emotionally already. Uh, the, I don't know, Sonny Perdue seems like he, he, he's a more serious guy than this administration has to offer.
1: Sonny Perdue. Okay. We're going with an obscure, obscure pick. Why would he leave? Why would he want to be associated with the president?
3: He wants to go go fight for his farmers, man. That's what he'll do.
0: He'll go down
1: fighting fighting for those tariffs. Anyway, okay, that being said, uh, Audrey, you got our entries. We'll post those, obviously. And, uh, Audrey, uh, uh, again, anything we missed during this week? Not that I know of. I think you guys covered everything. Excellent. That being said, on he behalf the of Court. oh which one oh which wait which one
2: Ohio the Ohio decision.
1: Oh yeah, we forgot that one. All right, Audrey, we'll put that in the errors and omissions. Anyway, that being said, we'll talk about that next week. That being said, uh, on behalf of Admiral Ken Caradine, Sharon sorry, Alan Moore, Dan Littner, and our associate producer. Uh, Audrey Howerton. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next Tuesday for the best political talk show you've never heard of. Hey, by the way, you can follow us on our Twitter account, at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook account, Facebook.com slash Backroom Politics Radio. You can also check out our website, www.BackroomPolitics.org, where you can subscribe to, from the cutting room, for our daily rundown of all things political inside and outside the Beltway, courtesy of Audrey Howerton. With that in mind, I am your host, of moderator, Justin Russell. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, America. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.
2: With the Lucky Land Sluts, you can get lucky
4: just
1: about anywhere.